Welcome to Starkville Church of God. This is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you, strengthens you, and fills you with God's love so you can share with others. Enjoy the message. It's so good to see you today in God's house. I'm thankful for all that he's done, and we continue on this series. I do want to apologize. We had a little mix-up. If you missed the last one, now last week, you know, the Lord moved, and I didn't get an opportunity to preach, uh, but the week before that, uh, it was it was really a lot my fault, and we were trying to uh, get everything together to make sure that things got recorded, and that one actually got deleted, so you won't be able to go back and, and hear that one. Now, we do have the first one, which is the introduction, and uh, also the first commandment that within two, three, and four uh, are not going to be available. Hopefully, they're in your minds that are a steel trap and in your spirit that the Lord's placed them there. But we move on today uh, to number five of the Ten Commandments, which is honor thy father and thy mother. How many of you know that becoming a parent really turns your life upside down? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I tell when I do premarital counseling, y'all probably heard me say before, thank y'all, you've probably heard me say before that... uh, you know, marriage, marriage did not change my life like becoming a parent changed my life. You know, Jamie and I dated, and, you know, at that point, we were, we were together every waking moment that we possibly could. We, you know, every time we could see each other, every time we could be together, we were kind of already used to that. And uh, we got married, and we had about five years, almost five years together before Jaden was born. And, uh, you know, we could get up there. We kind of laugh about it sometimes. I remember one time we woke up in the middle of the night and, and said, hey, I just I want some ginger ale. Let's go to Walmart. That's back when the Supercenter used to stay open 24 hours a day. Let's just go get some ginger ale. Got up and got some ginger ale. If we want to get up and go somewhere, you know, just get up and go somewhere. Uh, nothing changed our life, though, like on that day in August of 2005, uh, when that little seven-pound, 11-ounce Jaden was born, and suddenly our lives were just turned completely upside down. Things changed drastically after that. There was a story told of these three men back in the olden days, back when fathers could not go back into the delivery room. Any dads here, you had kids when you couldn't go back in the delivery room. Anybody here, you've been around that long and you weren't able to go back into the delivery room? Uh, well, uh, there was a story told of, of these three dads that uh, they couldn't go back into the delivery room. Some of y'all are laughing. Y'all just didn't raise your hands, I don't think. Uh, there's a story told of these three men that were in the waiting room while their wives were back in the back in the hospital having the babies. And uh, all of a sudden, the nurse comes in, tells the first man, congratulations, uh, you are the proud father of twins. And, and the man was like, wow, that is, that is terrific. That is awesome. He said, you know, it's crazy. I actually play for the Minnesota Twins, and I've got twins. And so they were, those guys were congratulating each other. A little while later, nurse comes back into the waiting room, comes to the next man and said, sir, I, congratulations, you are the proud father of three 
healthy babies. You had triplets. He said, that's crazy. He said, because I work for 3M Corporation, and I have had triplets. And just not long after that, the other guy that hasn't heard back yet falls in the floor, and they start saying, sir, are you okay? What's going on? He said, I'm okay right now, but I work for 7-Up. <laughs> Nothing changes your life like becoming a parent. And though, even though every one of us sitting here right now may not have children, if you're sitting here right now, you do have parents. Uh, you know, of course, we know in this day and time, relationships are different. Uh, you may not have been raised by your biological father or your biological mother or either one, but every single one of us, if we are here, we biologically had to have a father and a mother. How many of you know there was only one immaculate uh, incarnation? It was Jesus Christ. And so everybody else has an earthly father and an earthly mother. I told you at the beginning of this, as we go through the Ten Commandments, that the very first four of the commandments dealt with our vertical relationship. That is, it dealt with our relationship between us and the Lord. And there's a reason that that's first, because how many of you know, if you don't have stuff together with God, you're not going to get stuff together with anybody else. If you ever expect any other relationship to work in your life, relationships are hard enough with God much less without God. And so if you want any other relationship to work, you've got to first of all focus on those ver that vertical relationship with the Lord. But now we begin to step in those to those next six commandments then that shift from being about the vertical relationship to the horizontal relationships. Now the Ten Commandments begin to address the relationships that you have with the people around you. We find then that this begins, obviously, with the family. And this gives us a very clear picture of God's list of priorities. Number one, God is the priority. Somebody say amen. God begins with a relationship with him, and then as he then shifts to those horizontal relationships, the next relationship that becomes priority is the priority with your family. I know what this week is, and I do not have, uh, and it's really crazy. I'm just going to tell y'all, it's really crazy when I looked at it at first, because had the Lord not moved like he did last week, uh, this week's message would have started with the thou shalt not commit adultery. I wish I remember, wow, what a Valentine's message there. Um, but, uh, but today, I know that this is the Sunday before Valentine's Day this week. And so, can I just go ahead and let you know, if you are married, come on, how many married folks in the house? Let me, see your, let me see your hand, married folks in the house. Can I tell you, God is number one and your spouse is number two. God expects you to maintain your relationship with him. He is first, he is priority, and then it comes your spouse. Because, listen, if your marriage ain't working, nothing else is really going to work right either. Somebody say amen. Your family is the first priority in your life, and after your spouse then uh, comes your children. I joke around with Jamie. You know that most of y'all know that Jaden will be going off to college next year. Then we've only got one, and I keep joking with her. I say, you better be good to me because it ain't going to be long. It ain't going to be nobody but just me and you. So you better love me and be good to me. <laughs> Before children are aware of God's existence, the experience, they experience the love and the care of their parents. Before children can really understand who God is, 
what, you know, what God does or anything like that, they experience love. They experience affection, and the first place that they experience that and realize that is from their parents. And learning to honor their parents affects how they treat other authority figures, school, work, public officials. You see, I believe that everything starts in the home. You want to know why there, we live in a society that is full of disrespect, a society that is full of dishonor? I believe everything starts in the home. If we don't learn, to, if husbands and wives don't learn to honor each other, if parents and children don't learn to honor each other, then we can't expect that they're going to honor teachers. We can't expect that they're going to honor police officers. We can't expect that there's going to be any honor in anything because everything, I believe, starts in the home. And to honor in Israel meant to respect, to value, to highly esteem, and to treat with dignity in both private and public settings. Can I just tell you something? I, this is just a bone. This is not in my notes, but this is just because it's Valentine's week. Can I tell you that there is so much importance in how you treat your family in front of other people? There is so much value in how you treat your husband. There is so much value in how you treat your wife in front of other people. It is very critical how you do it. Can I just, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I'm not going to ask. I'm going to do it anyway. Even if y'all said no, y'all are pretty quiet this morning. I don't think you're going to say anything. But can I just tell you that your marital arguments and disagreements don't belong on the Facebook And don't y'all act like y'all know y'all have seen it. Facebook is not the place for your marital disagreements. The rest of the world does not need to see how you disagree. Now, please, please, please don't misunderstand me. Don't you ever think that I'm saying, oh, oh me and my wife, because I know there's some lying preachers out there. When they get up and they say, oh, me and my wife, we never disagree. We never fight or whatever. Dear God, I'm not going to hell over that one. Yeah, we fight sometimes. But our fights don't belong on Facebook and out in the public. Listen, if you throw two people in a room, I don't care how sanctified or holy they are, after a while there's going to be a disagreement. But you're all doing say, take care of things in private. Don't put it out there for the rest of the world to see. Somebody say amen. That was a bonus. It wasn't even in my notes. So how do we honor our parents? Remember, we're going back to this. Of course, we're starting in this, you know, horizontal relationship, and we're going to the parents now, and we say, well, how do we honor our parents? I got six things I want to give you here of how I believe that we honor our parents well, number one, obedient. Somebody say obedient. It's said that the Duke of Windsor once observed, he said this, the thing that impresses me most about America is the way that parents obey their children. I'm going to say that one more time. The Duke of Windsor once said, the thing that impresses me most about America is the way parents obey their children. Can you somebody say sarcasm? It's It's sarcasm. Some people don't understand sarcasm, but that, that is sarcasm there. And the sad thing is that he's telling the truth, and he's saying it in this very sarcastic way. 
how sad it is many times. It's sad as a pastor how I've observed it so many times, how children call the shots instead of the parents. How do we honor our parents? We're obedient to them. Number two, how do we honor our parents? We, we be receptive to instruction. Now listen, that, that kind of, and I'm going to get a little bit into this in a little bit more. Be receptive to instruction. Now I know in this room that we're sitting in, children's church is up the hill right now. So many of us, there's some college students in here, some of you that are still considered in the home of your parents and you do need to be obedient. But then there's the point in time when you're, you're married and your parents are still alive that you don't necessarily obey your parents, but you are receptive to their instruction. You don't necessarily ha have to do exactly what they say because the Lord talks about it for this reason. Will a man leave his father and his mother, be united to his wife, all of those things. I'm not getting that deep into it, but I believe that there still is, there still is something to be said about honoring and being willing to at least be receptive and listen to the things that your parents have to say. Come on, how many of y'all here, you're married here today? Let me see your hands again. How many of you are married here today? Now, how many of you that are married here today, you still got a, at least one parent that is still alive? Let me see your hand. Let's see it. So, so listen, I'm not telling you that you got to do when you're married, you, you become your own you become you and your spouse, you're out there, you do what you, but how many of you believe that there's still, don't be disrespectful, don't say, mama, just shut up, I don't want to hear you. Don't say, daddy, I don't have a kid, you're so dumb, you're just old and out of touch, at least stop for a moment and listen. Number three, how can you honor your parents? Be a righteous person. How much better can you honor your parents than being a righteous person? Number four, how can you honor your parents? You can be receptive to correction. You can be receptive when they correct you, when they say, hey, you know what? You're going down a wrong road. Something's not right here. But listen, I, I talked to last night. I was up in Houston at my parents' church and speaking, and I talked about repentance and being humble. And I want to remind you that none of us, none of us really like correction. I don't think any of us like it when we're in the wrong. Now, I will say when we get past it, we are thankful for correction, but I don't think there's one single person in the middle of being corrected that enjoys being corrected. But we honor them by being receptive. Number five, how do we honor them? We have friends who are a good influence. We allow the right people into our lives how many parents have become so aggravated if they've tried to raise their kids right and try to teach them the right way, then they gather around themselves friends that go against everything that they've ever tried to tell them and teach them. Number six, how do we honor our parents? We respect their property. In the book of Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 24, whoso robbeth his father or mother and saith it is no transgression, the same is the companion of a destroyer. So why honor our parents then? What, what is that? Well, right here it is. In fact, the Bible tells us it's the first, first commandment with promise. It, there's the promise to live long and prosper. Now listen, as a general rule, not as a guarantee to live to be 100 and to be filthy rich. If someone dies at an early age, you know, you don't just necessarily sit back and say, yep, they didn't honor their parents. <laughs> No, it's a general rule that if you obey your parents, that you will live long and prosper. And if you want to take it back in ancient Israel, in the book of Exodus chapter 21, 
that there was a warning of capital punishment. In fact, the Bible said, if a man strikes his father, not kills his father, strikes his father, he is to be put to death. Ooh, aren't y'all glad we don't live back then? Somebody say amen. A couple of y'all are. Why do we honor parents? Well, it's an expression of holy living. You know what, like it or not, in this world, I don't even care what this world says, what this world does, all of that. Can I just tell you that I believe that godly people and expression of holy living will manifest itself in a people that honor their parents. You say, well, is that a contradiction to the New Testament? Because in the book of Luke chapter 26, Jesus talked about hating one's father and mother. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. Because the term hate, as Jesus used it, is defined as to love less by comparison. Because we know we know God. We know how, how, the, how the heart of God is. We know how God operates, and God would never want you to hate, as we think of the word, hate your parents. But the term does mean that you would love less by comparison. So, yes, you will love the Lord more than you love your mama. You will love the Lord more than you love your daddy, but you will still love and obey and honor your father and your mother. Love God more than anything, but still, come on somebody, still love your mama. Come on, look at the person beside you and say, you better love your mama. <laughs> and those of you that don't have your mama with you even more, I know that you feel that even more than those of us that don't have her anymore. I told you I was going to get to this. There's three stages of life and parental respect. Number one, there is the young family. And we've got, we've got several of those in our church today as we were at prayer conference this past week and even last night with my sisters. Both my sisters have got young kids still running around like a bunch of crazy people. And I just sit back with my 17-year-old and my 12-year-old that will just sit there, come, and I say, thank you, Jesus, <laughs> that I'm past that point of life. This is my favorite. I know, so, oh, you're going to miss. I don't really know if I'll miss that part or not. I'll miss the part we're in right now, so I'm just trying to soak it up. Them crazy, listen, the diapers and the crying and the bottles and all, that ain't my favorite time. I watched this, some of our, our younger pastors as they, God, that sounds crazy standing up here saying that some of our younger pastors. I was always that one. Now I'm the old bald dude. Um, but some of our young pastors this week as they, they were hauling around, they got their, their young kids and they're running around Friday night in the lobby of the hotel, running around, hitting stuff and, and everything and wild and energetic and all of this kind of stuff. The young family, the children then, that, that stage where, of course, it is. It's the children, they're told everything. Parent, it is your responsibility. Of course, as they grow, you begin to test them out as the, as the eagle does, begin to push the young out of the nest and begin to let them learn on their own. But still, as the young family, it's you that's making the decisions for them. It's you that, listen, don't you leave it in the hands of those kids. They don't know no better. In the young family, it is, it is the parents that need to be making the decisions. Then it moves on to the, to the empty nest, the advice to adult children. Now, I hit this just a second ago from the, from the kid's side of 
those that have that are grown and have your own families, but yet your parents are older and they give you advice to respect. But listen, I'm gonna hit this. I'm gonna hit this, and I want to be nice from the parent side also. Listen, when you got grown married children, you can give advice, and it is good to give advice, and it is good to help, but it ain't your job to tell them what to do anymore. They're married, they're grown, they have their families. Now it comes a point in time where, yes, they need to honor you and respect you. And if you feel like you need to give them some advice, then please, by all means, do it. But you can't tell them what to do anymore. And you don't want to drive a wedge between you, yourself, and their family. The third stage of life is the golden years, the care for the aging parents. And I, and I look here, and I know right here in this room, even in just the two years nearly that I've been here, I've seen how many of you, you've had to go through that or going through that. You're caring for your parents that, that are aging, your parents that they can no longer care for yourselves. People talk about the fact, and I've seen it. I've been in this thing long enough. I've seen how it's true, how, how things come back around. How, how, how suddenly, you know, you go from the child and you're being told what to do and then you go around and you're telling everybody what to do and you get back around and you have to be told what to do. Listen, can I, can I, can I say this also? As those that are, let me be careful how I say this. As those that are aging and those that you're about to have to be cared for by your children, you know, be careful. I know you don't want to be told what to do, but be careful with your children. Really, I've seen it as a pastor. I've seen children that are really, they're really trying to take care of their parents. They're really trying to care for their parents. They want the best for their parents. And they see, they see things in a world that is ever-changing. And they see what's going on. They see things in your life that has changed in your life, in your mind, in your body that you either can't see or you don't want to see. And so can I tell you, when we get to this part Please be careful. Please be careful. Love your kids as they're taking. Listen, hey, if you got kids that'll take care of you, you are blessed more than a whole lot of people. There's a whole lot of people right now that are stuck off in a nursing home with nobody to care for them or, or want to do anything with them. So as you age, parents, in those golden years, please care. Please, please make sure as your children are caring for them. Uh, for you to make sure that you honor them and don't just be too cantankerous. Listen, I know we as we we've been cantankerous. I know some of it's probably well they were so cantankerous coming up they got it coming. So just love. I got to move on. We move on to the sixth commandment, verse thirteen: Thou shalt not kill. Many argue. When we get into this, there's four things, and I'm going to address these as we go through this. Many argue about capital punishment, the death penalty. Many argue about killing animals. Many argue, they argue about euthanasia. They argue about war. Well, let's look at the meaning of the Hebrew word. It's, it comes from the Hebrew word ratzak. That's probably not pronouncing that right, but it means unlawfully taking a life. And in fact, I know that I read it to you from the King James Version, but many modern translations use the word murder, thou shalt not murder, to give a more accurate interpretation. Human life is different from animals. How many of you know when the God made all this stuff, he made animals to be eaten? I am not for abusing animals. I am not for, I'm not, I am for taking care. Don't abuse them. Don't be mean to them. But by all means, eat them. 
Amen. Animals were meant. God said it. He said, take it, eat it. This is for you. Don't be cruel to them. Don't abuse them. But, yeah, some animals, a good cow, a good hog, you raise them, and you kill them, and you eat them. They're made for that. They're made for that. That's what the Lord, that's how God set this all up for us to be. Human life is different from animals. We're separated by our rational moral and spiritual capacities that animals do not have all ancient societies we find had laws against murder it's just kind of one of those innate things that even the most heathenistic some most of the time seem to understand that murder is not right and it is clear that all murder is killing but not all killing is murder. You can read the book of Numbers chapter 35, verses 1 through 34. I'm not going to take time to do that. But if you're taking notes, you can go back and read that. And we find several things throughout this. We find, first of all, it addresses unlawful deeds. Murder. Murder is the violent, deliberate, premeditated taking of another person's life. Before modern law enforcement, there was what was called an avenger of blood that applied the death sentence. Before the modern systems that we have now, God had made room for an avenger of blood that would apply the death sentence. One thing that we do find throughout Scripture is we find that God never, ever, ever gives us any liberty or room for vengeance. Somebody say amen. In fact, the Lord said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And so we find there was an avenger of blood. In fact, God told Cain the very first murder was brother killing brother. Cain killed Abel. And the Lord told Cain that the voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Can I tell you there's something about murder that the blood of the murdered person seems to cry out to the Lord when their life was taken from them. We find murder. We find negligent death addressed in the Bible. Some of this stuff, listen, this, I want you to hear this. I know this is not the most exciting thing. I know I'm not running the backs of the pews and everything, but I want you to see some of this. Why, why we have laws like we have and what the Bible says about it. Negligent death. The Bible addresses the fact that we're responsible for keeping others safe. Deuteronomy 22 and 8 talks about unsafe property. Listen, you need to be careful of what you have. Don't dig a hole and just leave it out there for somebody to fall in and break their neck. Animals not being restrained is addressed in Exodus chapter 21, verses 28 and 29. It says, if you've got a bull and it's known to go out, it's done gorge two people or gored two people and killed them. Don't just leave that thing out there so it can go and kill a third and fourth. In fact, the Bible says if you do that, you will be held responsible for that death. Negligent owners were held responsible. The third type is killing the unborn. In Exodus chapter 21, verses 22 through 25, we find that the Bible then addresses that if there is a woman that, that is pregnant and a fight breaks out, and in that fight the pregnant woman is harmed, it says if she gives birth and the baby is okay, then everything is fine. But it says if something happens, life for life, eye for eye, 
tooth for tooth. You say, Pastor, I thought he wasn't about that. This, uh, But still, it shows us the value that God has. You say, why do Christians make such a big deal about abortions? Why do Christians make such? Because I want you to see that the Bible considers all human life as sacred from the womb all the way to the grave. We find the address of accidental deaths. That's covered in Numbers chapter 35. There were cities of refuge where people could flee that if there was an accidental death that took place. Then we find lawful deaths. I want you to, I want you to hear me here because remember, this is why we, when we talk about this and, and we talk about not killing, remember that the better modern translation is murder here. So we find, as I said earlier, uh, not, all, not all killing is murder, but all murder is killing. So let's look at this. Where does the Bible give room for lawful deaths? Well, number one, there is capital punishment, the death penalty, that there is life for life. This was a deterrent to murder and personal vengeance. One more time, I will say, nowhere in the Scripture do we ever find that God gives room for vengeance. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. The New Testament has no precept that would nullify the practice of capital punishment. In fact, I want you, I didn't, I want you to see this, though. Turn to the book of Romans chapter 13. We're going to go to the New Testament because I want you to see it here because I know that there's arguments and people that argue for this or against this. The book of Romans, New Testament. Romans chapter 13. Verses 1 through 4. Romans 13, 1 through 4. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that are ordained of God. Now, can I stop? Put your finger right there. Let me remind you. What book is this? Romans. This is to the church in Rome, I mean, it's not like the Roman government was really known, especially at this time, for being just the most pure government there was. But yet God still sends this through his word. Verse 2 now. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. Put your finger right there. Can I just tell you this? And I know, listen, I, I know there's all kind of, there's always bad in everything, but can I tell you our law enforcement officers are ministers? Everybody, everybody wants them when you're in trouble. But then when you go causing trouble, you want to get rid of them. Right here in the New Testament, in the book of Romans, we find that they are a minister. He is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. The Lord is talking here about the government. So for those that say that, oh, how can you believe, how can you believe in, in capital punishment because it's right there in the New Testament. It is to keep us 
from going out and seeking revenge for ourselves. It is to detour those from continuing to act in those ways. And this reinforces it as a responsibility of the state. The Scripture gives us this fact that it is not up to us to go with revenge after somebody, but to leave it in the hands of the state. Now, obviously, as with anything that deals with people, none of it's ever perfect. Come on, somebody. None of it's ever perfect. There's not a pastor that's perfect. There's not a cop that's perfect. There's not a judge that's perfect. There's not a lawyer that's perfect. There's not a district attorney that's perfect. There's not a president that's perfect. There's not a governor that's perfect. None of us are perfect. But the Lord tells us in the New Testament, firms this up from the Old Testament, that it's the responsibility of the state to keep law and order. Secondly, lawful, that's the first, capital punishment. Number two, lawful death is self-defense. In the book of Exodus chapter 22, verses 2 and 3, the Bible talks about someone coming into your home at night. And if you kill them, that you are not responsible for their death. Can I just tell you that we've got a responsibility to protect those that can't protect themselves? We have the right and we have the responsibility to protect. It's, it's the castle doctrine if you want to get into the law about it. Uh, when it comes especially, you know, here, especially here in the south, we're a little more protected by those things. Somebody breaks into my house at night, I'm just going to tell you, I'm probably not going to just stop and say, hey, are you here to murder and rape my family or No. We're told here in self-defense that in that case, that is a lawful death. Number three, this is always a, this is also one that gets to be a hot topic, and that is war. Unfortunately, is a part of this sin-cursed world. Can I just tell you something? Until the time that Jesus Christ comes and sets up his kingdom, the millennial reign, there will not be peace. In fact, read what Jesus says. When he starts talking about the end times, he says, you're going to hear about wars, rumors of wars. There's got, all of that's going to be going on. Can I just tell you that there's just going to be war. It's a part of this sin-cursed world. Read in the Old Testament, you'll find that many times that the Lord ordered war. And in fact, when you read about him, this may make you uncomfortable, but the Lord is also known as a man of war. Sometimes, can I just tell you, I'm, I'm thankful, thankful for our soldiers, thankful for our men and women in uniform. Those that would mock them and ridicule them and call them murderers, I would say absolutely not. Because the Bible tells us that there is time when war has to go on, and unfortunately there's a time when things have to be done. And I'm thankful for those who put themselves. Now, does it? one thing that we see is we see that because it was never part of God's plan in the beginning, it's because of this sin-cursed world. Unfortunately, it does affect our soldiers, doesn't it? It affects them very much for those that have to take lives, and, and, and they have to battle through so many mental issues because in the beginning, God never called us and created us to have to do that, but it's our own fault as humans for allowing sin into this world, and unfortunately, because of that, it's a part of this world. Most of the time, you've heard me say this, most of the time people want to throw things off and say, oh, that's all Old Testament. That's not in the New Testament. You know, every time I go and I look at something in the Old Testament, I find that God always steps it up. 
from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Look with me in Matthew chapter 5, if you would, verse 21 through 24. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and then come and offer thy gift. We find that the New Testament is even tougher than the Old Testament. You see, the Lord makes it clear. You can't hold hate in your heart for anybody. Now, I know I preached about, and listen, that's why I wanted you to see that the Bible, the reason that the government is here is to uphold laws. And even, listen, can I tell you, there is nothing, there's absolutely nothing wrong. I've read to you from the New Testament to the, to the church in the capital of one of the craziest governments, the Roman government, how they were even told that, that hey, the government helps keep order and peace. There is nothing wrong when we want to see justice brought to someone who has wronged us in the proper way through the criminal system. Yet at the same time, I do believe that through that, we still have to have forgiveness in our hearts. I know that's difficult. I know that's very hard, and that's not going to come through human power at all. It's only going to help ha happen through the help of the love of Jesus Christ. From the one that hung there sus suspended between heaven and earth in such pain and agony, but yet prayed to the Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus, one thief on one side mocked him, the other thief we know received him and he said what this day you'll be with me in paradise I want you to follow me here that day Jesus Jesus didn't look over and say hey you know what you're pardoned get off the cross you don't have to die today he still had to die for the crime he committed but yet he still found forgiveness for his soul and found himself in heaven with Jesus on that very day. The positive side of the sixth commandment is a protection of life. Thanks for listening to our podcast. To find out more about us, follow us on social media at StarkvilleCOG. Special thanks to those who generously support this ministry. If you would like to give, visit us at startvillecogcom forward slash give. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.